0: Shell have it High School presents the Radical Moderation Podcast. Here's your host, Rabbi Ari Siegel. Welcome back to the Radical Moderation Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Siegel. A reminder, please leave five-star ratings on iTunes, and if you can, write a review. Anything helps. If you just write some text, it counts uh, more than just leaving us a review with stars to help bump up our... Uh, popularity so that others can hear the podcast as well if you like it. So please share. We're also on social media. Our Twitter handle is at at Rad Moderation uh, and our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Radical Moderation. I am pleased to welcome back for a second time to the Radical Moderation podcast, a good friend, Tali Germain. Tali is an activist uh, a brilliant thinker, a co- very courageous person, and, and, a, and a dear friend who I met a number of years ago in Aspen, and we've kept up that relationship since then. So, Tali, we've spoke. First of all, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here, Ari, and, and <laughs> talking to you.
0: So, I know we've spoken before, uh, and our, the listeners have heard you, uh, but maybe share with us uh, what you're reading now. I know it's been a few months since we last talked. Oh, told.
1: my goodness. Um um, so now I'm reading a couple of things. Uh, I'm reading Just Mercy. I was just, I, literally, I was at um, the uh, Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, just about a, a I would say two weeks ago. Um, and I decided it, it was time to read uh, Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. So that's the one that I'm really excited about now.
0: And if you had to sum it up in uh, thirty seconds, so oh this, yeah, so tell me.
1: so the text really it's about um, the impact of um, I guess slavery on mass incarceration, and and the idea that that mass incarceration is really impacting the lives, especially of black men in the United States. Um, I don't want to give the book away, but it's a, it's a must read in, oh. in my opinion.
0: Got it, and and it's. Okay, I was going to ask a follow-up question, but I don't even want to. I don't want more information. Um, <laughs> Do you, do you eat candy? What's your favorite candy bar, Tali?
1: Oh, man. Listen, I love candy and I don't have a ton of it at my house. But my thing with candy is I like to convince myself that whatever I, candy I'm eating is actually sort of healthy. <laughs> so my go-to <laughs> I want to hear this. My go-to candy is uh, I eat raisinets because I've oh. convinced myself that it's mostly raisins. It is. Um, and I also, hey, I love fruit snacks and, and the fruit snacks, um, they're... they're their marketing is awesome because they say fruit is the first ingredient. So um, I've convinced myself that those two things are actually healthy candies. So, so those are my favorites.
0: And you've convinced me. By the way, Trader Joe's always has a great selection of those. <laughs> Just that's like my goal. Oh, go-to.
1: yeah, that's right.
0: Oh, that that's whole section. Right. All right. Last fun question before we dive into the, the the meat of the podcast is what is your best purchase under $20 in the last month?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good one. So we have a daughter, um, now I think since the last, what, yeah, she was born, um, since the last podcast, but now they're all, every purchase I make is basically about her. Um, and so I have lots of baby books. Um, and my favorite one right now is a book called monster trouble. Uh, I think it's her favorite too, but I'll just say that it's my best purchase under $20 as of late.
0: I love it. Do you, you don't want to spoil the ending of that one, so you won't tell no, us what it's, it's about.
1: Really, that's really good too. <laughs> it's a must read. If you can, if, the, if our must li- read.
0: <laughs> if the listeners only have time between monster trouble and just mercy, which one are you recommending?
1: Oh, depends. I mean, are you looking for something lighthearted or are you looking for something that will really inspire you to go take action? So if it's lightheartedness, you should read (laughs) Monster Trouble. It will take you just a few minutes. Um, If you really want to be inspired to go and change the world, you should read Just Mercy.
0: Got it. Man, I don't yeah. think you need any more inspiration to change the world, but <laughs> I think you've got enough. That's true. <laughs> so, um, we have not talked since you got back uh, from a trip to Israel. So, I am mm-hmm. walking on uh, unchartered. You know, I, I think they probably say if you're a podcast host or if you're doing an interview, you should know a little bit before you get into it, but I don't know Mm -hmm. how your trip was to Israel. I know. Maybe share with the Mm -hmm. listeners why you made a trip to Israel. What is that a part of something?
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. So as part of our organization's design, we think uh, having a worldview is really important to solving local problems. Um, And so what we wanted to do, and we're visiting lots of places, is to learn from the global context in order to design better solutions to the issues we have here in the U.S. Um, And uh, there are a few things at play. I think one thing is I've always wanted to visit that part of the world. And so there was an opportunity there to visit. um, I think... There's a ton of innovation um, and outside-the-box thinking happening in that part of the world. And we wanted to, as a team, experience that. Um, And then there's a a ton of diversity in that part of the world that we rarely uh, see uh, portrayed in the media or or in other places for those who don't readily have access to that part of the world. And so we decided that we wanted to spend some time um, in several parts of the world. And we started locally, actually, in the US. We started in Chicago. Um, and spent time in Chicago and a part of the of the city of Chicago that a, a, a number of people have talked about, in particular about the violence happening there. And our perspective in going there and in going to Israel and the West Bank um, was to really understand um, and to paint a different picture and to share the multiple narratives that exist that don't get told. So when we we're in Chicago, we spent time with communities who often are not, um, provided the space to tell their stories. And we wanted to create that space to some degree. Um, and so we also spent time in Israel and the West Bank. And then we, we are spending time in South Africa to learn about truth and reconciliation efforts as we think about truth and reconciliation efforts in the US. So that that was the um, initiative for for visiting uh, Israel. And, and it was uh, probably one of the most uh, impactful experiences I've ever had. Uh, and we haven't had a chance to talk, so this is definitely uncharted territory. Um, I think it took me about a month to decompress from the visit, um, because we learned a lot.
0: Oh, I thought, I thought it was was like, I thought it was all the delicious food Uh, while you were there. Oh,
1: by the way, I did work out every day at 5 a.m. So I could eat as much as I wanted. Um, so that that was the other thing that happened. It, it was, abs- I mean, the food was absolutely incredible. Um, no matter where we were.
0: So so tell me the about the decompression. Tell me what you expected going in. What are yeah. the, some of the things that surprised you? Um, mm. What was different than you expected?
1: Yeah, so... Well, I I may ask for a refresh of the questions um, because there's so much um, to tell. Um, I think uh, the, uh, uh, I think, okay, so I'll start with um, the thing that surprised me most um, and, and part of what my assumption going into any place is I don't make any assumptions. Um, I talk to a number of people um, who have either lived in that place or are from that place to better understand their perspectives. And what I've learned over the years is that there are multiple perspectives. Um, and so I go in um, not knowing a whole lot, right? Um, or not making a ton of assumptions. I may know a lot, but I'm not going in with a viewpoint about a place. Um, and I, I also recognize that the, the media here Paints a specific picture of any given place, um, uh, e.g., Chicago. When we were there, one of the things that was super clear to us was that the the picture painted by the media isn't always um, what the community experiences. Um, and, and the same was true when for our visit to Israel um, and the West Bank. So. One thing that was surprising to me was the diversity um, of the place. I mean, I literally saw so many people from different backgrounds um, and I didn't expect that. And that was my own lack of knowledge. Um, and I think one in the diversity of like culture, food, music, um, all of it. Right. Um, and you get to it's almost as if you're experiencing multi, multiple cultures within one place. Um, I actually it's the funniest thing happened as I was walking down the street in Jerusalem. I, I looked at this guy who literally looked like my twin. And we stared at each other for three minutes. No one said anything. We literally <laughs> stared at each other like, <laughs> somewhere back in our ancestry, we're related. We don't know how. Wow. Um, and, and I can picture him in my mind. And so that spoke to the diversity of experiences we had. And at the same time, I think there were people in it, during our visit who, who, there were two black people on the trip with me who were taken aback um, by our presence uh in israel specifically um and like who questioned us or said things that were probably like uh show their lack of um awareness is is the best way i could put it meaning uh, and like, i won't like, go into the specific so, you know so i was with a, a black man also, um, and a white woman. Um, and there were several times. So, so one time, uh, as we were walking down the street, someone called him Tyrone several times. Um, the same person repeated Tyrone, 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 um, which was not his name. And then there was another time where someone said to him, what part of Africa are you, are you from? And he said, well, I'm not from Africa. I'm from the United States. My ancestors, obviously, were probably um, from the continent of Africa, but I myself am from Dallas or something like that. And the person insisted that this, this man was African. And so we went back and forth and at one point, you know, we, we decided, you know, at some point we decided we probably should just walk away. Um, and this person said to them, you can come teach my class and tell them what Africa is like. Um, which was like really a uh, challenging mission for us um, in terms of really navigating that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as we were debriefing that experience, one thing we said was, man, we should have told them we were from Wakanda. <laughs> um, and that, <laughs> and pulled up some pictures of Google, uh, on Google of Wakanda and 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 made light of the situation. But we, we had some of those experiences that felt really hard, mm. um, coupled with really powerful experiences um, where we interviewed artists, musicians, um, writers, journalists. Uh, teachers, um, funders, right, across contexts, activists, to better understand their perspectives. And we had some profound takeaways as a result of that. Um, so yeah, so I, I mean, that there's so much there, Ari, to unpack. I couldn't even, I don't think we could do it within like one conversation.
0: Mm. All right, that means we'll have to have a few of these. But uh, <laughs> wow, that sounds... And when you say, meaning you met the artists and the writers and the teachers and the funders mm-hmm. uh, in both the West Bank and in Israel.
1: Yeah, so so the first thing we did, actually, which for better or for worse, um, we went to Hebron as our first visit. And I think what that that was, I mean, we, we just went right into it. Right. And so, um, we learned a lot. We met with a number of people, um, Jewish people, Muslim people spent time really understanding their perspectives. It was really challenging for us. Um, and we recognize that we're outsiders, right? Like we don't know everything and this is rooted in a complex history at the same time it was difficult not to feel the, the humanity or lack thereof, depending on the experience we were having. Um, and so when we talked to activists or leaders or artists from the Jewish community and, and, and um, from the Muslim community, uh, it was hard not to empathize, especially when we were in the Muslim parts of Hebron. Yeah. Um, because there's so much poverty. Um, and just, it, 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 I mean, just aesthetically, they look different. Um, and a lot of that is about access to resources. And, you know, we're mostly there as listeners hearing people's stories. Um, and it was a challenging context, to say the least.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's, that's an issue that uh, Israel struggles with in general, in terms of perception at at the very mm-hmm. minimum, it could be the reality is the same as well, but at a minimum, mm-hmm. the perception, you know, the Israel uh, only, they would say 60, 70 years removed from the Holocaust, almost desolation of the Jewish people. They built it on swampland and there was nothing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, whatever, you know, whatever the, mm-hmm. the story we tell is, but at this point, Israel is incredibly successful by any measure, whether that's mm-hmm. financial or, or you know, voice in the world stage or you know, militarily. And so you you go to a place like Hebron, or you know, the the Hebrew word is Hebron. And I've mm-hmm. been there. I've been to the uh, Palestinian side of Hebron, and I've been on the mm-hmm. Israeli side, uh, and it. It could not look more radically different. I mean, it's not like the people, the Israelis who are mm-hmm. living in Hebron are living in the lap of luxury, but at least it feels mm-hmm. like uh, like you, you know, a small town in America. I don't know. And then you go to mm-hmm. the other side of the fence, and mm-hmm. um, and and most of Hebron is, you know, on the Palestinian side is they're living in abject poverty, um, and, mm-hmm. and so a- automatically there's a sense of, of inequality of how people's existence is.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and that's I I think the
1: other thing no no sorry go ahead Ari
0: no no you go ahead go ahead I'm sorry
1: no I think the other thing that the other thing that was challenging um, was listening to people's perspectives um, and seeing the sorrow um, with which people told their stories um, and that was really challenging um, because, so the question we, I asked myself as I was leaving um, Tel Aviv, uh, which was the final part of our visit was um, what could equity look like um, given the histories that create these narratives that we all have, right? Like, so, Is there a scenario where there could be peace or where people could empathize with one another in a significant way? Um, And I recognize that, you know, this is a challenging situation and I am no expert. Um, And at the same time, you can't help but see kids who literally don't have anything, right? Or are sick or, um, I mean, at one point we were walking by a market Um, in another part of uh, the territory and there were loads of garbage bags of clothes which were clearly like used and not in good condition that people were actually selling right and and you know, again, like I'm an outsider observing something that feels really hard just on a humanistic level, yeah. um, and I think that that was the hard part about decompressing and and understanding that, you know, when I come back to like a lot of my friends are are Jewish, right? And and so, you know, I needed to take the time to have conversations with people to really understand their perspectives as well, because there were people who were really challenged by by the experience that we had. Um, where we were able to have empathy for Palestinian people who are experiencing really challenging situations. Um, and for some people, that was hard, right, to hear us talk about it in this way, um because there's a history there that is really challenging, um no matter who you're talking to. Um, yeah, I, I mean I and, yeah. yeah,
0: oh sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, that, that, that was it. That was, I was trailing off.
0: (laughs) I think people struggle just as humans and like who care about something separating empathy from responsibility. So Mm -hmm. when, and I went to see, uh, you know, I have six siblings who live in Israel. Uh, my father lives there, Mm -hmm. lots of friends and family, and I care very deeply about Israel. And I spent some time in the West bank and Bethlehem and, and, and Hebron and, and just seeing, um, some of, uh, that, poverty that you described, the, 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 the hopelessness. Um, and when I would share that, uh, there is, and even when I saw it, I saw it myself, um, you know, there's there's a natural instinct because I think the assumption is, well, if you, if you articulate and feel a real sense of empathy, it somehow means you're assigning responsibility and blame to Israel. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. if I say, mm-hmm. look at the squalor and the poverty that these mm-hmm. people live in without also mm-hmm. saying, hey, well, Hamas is a terrorist group and PA is using all the money for themselves. And even the nonviolent activists, who I don't know if you met Isa Amro when you were in Hebron, who he's like a nonviolent activist there who is incredible um, for the Palestinians. But like, th- mm-hmm. there's this mm-hmm. automatic need to jump to, you know, yeah, it's horrible that they're in poverty, but what about? What could the Palestinians be doing for their people? We've offered them peace and they've turned it down. Rather than just saying, holy cow, that is horrible. As a human being, Mm -hmm. looking at other human beings who have nothing to do with the conflict. They're just the the recipients of it. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. Is there something Israel Mm -hmm. can do to make it better without assigning blame, without assigning responsibility, without saying, you know, this means that Israel... You know, it's a really complicated situation, like you said. Israel feels yeah. like it was in Hebron before there were Palestinians. Palestinians mm-hmm. were massacring Jews in in Hebron before the state of Israel came. I mean, that's, that's the story you hear from the Jewish side. And then you have Palestinians who are saying, yeah, but you've closed off our... The side of uh, you know the tomb of the of the patriarchs and put metal detectors mm-hmm. there and we never had problems going to pray and now nobody wants to go to pray and you've kind of put a curfew on sometimes and we're not living you're you're treating us like animals and and yeah mm-hmm. it's just, it's horrible and like what mm-hmm. and, and I think sometimes that's the issue I know when I speak to and this sounds like it mirrors a little bit of your uh, experience when you come back and talk to Jewish people who love Israel uh, and they're good people mm-hmm. like if they saw poor people on sure. the streets here in Los Angeles or in Brooklyn or in Chicago, they would be like, oh my God, this is horrible. We need to run a food drive and a clothing drive and a homeless drive and America needs to do better. There's a feeling of like, well, when you make me or ask me to be empathetic without acknowledging that the blame rests on the Palestinians, I I can't, there's a cognitive dissonance that comes with it. So I I get it, Mm -hmm. like it it resonates with me in terms of how that feels sometimes. Um, So you don't have any solutions? to this problem. I <laughs> thought you would go there, Tali. If anyone was oh, going to yeah. go there and fix this, I thought it was going to be you.
1: Well, you know, I think the, just like, uh, we're facing some real challenges here in the U S around race relations and, and just racism, um, structural and otherwise, I think the, the, as the problems are complex, so are like the solutions to some degree. So one of the things, one of the big takeaways for me, um, was this concept that it's really challenging to come up with solutions that will actually address the core, the root cause of the problem, right? Um, And I think at the core of the problem is there are lots of things, a lack of trust, which is the same here, right? Um, A a history of um, people not understanding, listening, connecting with one another um around their humanity and there's a dehumanization that happens right and and i don't think there's like a single solution to dehumanization because then you start to enter inter, internalize a dehumanization um which which i saw a ton um and i see here all the time you know last time i was on we talked about the number of um unarmed black people who had been um shot and killed by police right like there's a dehumanization that goes beyond like the technical solution that you could come up with right like it's about how i perceive someone else um and so i mean we're, we're thinking about how we might um one of the questions we asked everyone we met with was how could you address this problem and um over and over i think one thing we heard from people and obviously we didn't talk to every single person um who lives um, in the places we visited. But one of the things we heard over and over again was how do we build enough trust to even have a conversation? Yeah. Um, to come yeah. to the same space, right? Um, and I think to some degree, the same is true here um, in the US, and that like it's really hard, even if we're in the same space, I think we come with these preconceived notions, these beliefs that people are not willing to come across to the other side to actually make change um and so one of the we're going back um and one of the things that we're thinking about is is it possible because one one sorry I, I'm, I have so many thoughts but one of the Keep thoughts that came up for us was, <laughs> when we talk to people especially activists journalists etc one of the things that they said over and over and over again is well the problems we have here are really complex but the problems you have in the u.s are really easy to solve and here are my perspectives or or, or potential solutions to the problems in the US. And one of the the takeaways for us was that when approximate to a problem, sometimes if that problem is about your own humanity, it's really hard to come up with solutions. However, if something feels far away, it's easier to wrap your intellectual, human, et cetera, et cetera mind around it in order to come up with solutions. And so one of the big takes for us was, is it possible to get people to think about an issue that is theirs to solve, but where there are so many similarities and those solutions might also apply to their own context. Mm. Um, so it's something we want to think about. Um, and we wanna we wonder whether we could get some people to help us think that. That's actually um, that really, was one.
0: Huh. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I that's mean like, literally that's it, very rabbinic. It, I'm sure other traditions have stuff like this or where <laughs> in the Bible there it's very biblical that's replete with these kind of situations where in order to solve a question, someone asks a person a question, but frames it as if it's a different situation, but it's really about themselves. Mm -hmm. They give what the objectively Mm -hmm. right answer is. And then when there's this aha light bulb moment of like, oh, you're talking about me and my situation, Mm -hmm. you're sort of confronted Mm -hmm. with the, this is how I can deal with it when I disconnect to drop. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and the truth is we were we're not thinking of like tricking people. We really want to bring to them really complex situations from other com- uh, other contexts, um, and either pilot those those solutions in the context where they currently are, or in different contexts to see whether those things, if they become internalized, will then um, work in the context that is most proximate to you. Um, because I think. You know, I'm really optimistic. I wake up every day, no matter what the previous day was, and I believe that things are possible. Um, and I just learned that everybody doesn't feel this way, right? Yeah. Um, from someone else who's like, what? you know, like, no, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, and so I wonder if, if there is a possibility to really think about these things, if we took them in small chunks um, and try to address them at a localized level um, considering global perspectives, right? And, and I think in lots of places all over the world, people have overcome really challenging things. So this is not impossible. I think the challenge is that in some ways we feel stuck, whether it's here in the U.S. about issues related to race and racism, um, or you know where, when we were in Israel and, and Hebron and Bethlehem and other places, where people really did feel like there was no way to address this um, other than the way they were already addressing it, right? And so is there a way to inject some um, positivity or a new perspective that would give people hope and also energy to, to really um, address the issues that they currently face? Whew.
0: That is that is heavy as always. Um, it's actually interesting Whenever when I went on that trip uh, to the West Bank and um, East Jerusalem, and I told my siblings about it. And, you know, you walk away, you, you've seen things, you can't unsee them and mm-hmm. you have empathy. Mm-hmm. And you're just sharing that, you know, some of their response was a little bit, uh, their, some of their response was, hey, you know what, we're going to send a bus full of Israelis to America and to Chicago and to, uh, other places where America is you know, treating African-Americans and other minorities horribly. And we'll give you feedback also. And then once we're, you know, mm-hmm. like big shot, you can come here and see the things Israel is struggling with and it's complicated and it's complex. And, you know, you have this group of Americans who are showing up to give us a lecture. Uh, how about fixing the mm-hmm. the racial tension that that uh, is in mm-hmm. America, if, it, if it's so simple kind of thing. So it's interesting. There's mm-hmm. both, I think, I, I'm optimistic hearing you speak about using, uh, things that are, that are a little bit further away as, um, you know, to see, to use them as test cases and how, to, how, do, how could we mm-hmm. apply what worked there here? And, um, but it's also interesting cause there's also this tension, uh, from that, that, you know, every, every place has their own issues and, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it feels a little easier to go to somebody else's place and see their issues, uh, and give them, mm-hmm. give them ideas. Um, let me think here. Oh, I wanted to tell you one thing that's so interesting. So I, and again, I'm not going to get mm-hmm. this survey result correctly, but there is a university yeah. in, uh, it's a combination of a Palestinian university and uh, an Israeli university and a couple researchers, and they do regular surveys of the Israeli and Palestinian populations. And they actually send those to mm-hmm. the prime minister uh, and the president of the PA and, and the prime minister of Israel. So they have them. One of the survey results, the the number one uh, factor that would, and this is asked of the Palestinians and of Israeli public that would get them to say, okay, we maybe pieces is, is doable for the Palestinians was for Israel to acknowledge and apologize for what happened in 1948. Meaning you, okay, you were given the, you know, the partition plan and Israel was given to you and you had this horrible experience. I mean, horrible doesn't describe the Holocaust, but you had this experience and mm-hmm. and you were given the land rightfully based on, you know, how it works in the in the League of Nations, but it's hard. Meaning, there were people in this land who then had to be who some very you know who left, who had to be who were kicked off their houses. Just to apologize and acknowledge it was horrible. And on the Israeli side, mm-hmm. and over fifty percent of uh, Palestinians said at that point they would be willing. Meaning, they could figure this out if Israel would just formally do that. Um, mm-hmm. And Israelis said, uh, sorry, and Israelis said, yeah, if. Palestinians would just acknowledge our right to exist, and that this is biblically, meaning whatever that means. But in the Bible, it talks about the Jews being in Israel, predating all of this stuff—the Ottomans, the Romans, the Palestinians. Like there is a ancestral homeland piece of this, and that the UN came along and gave this to us. Just acknowledge that, which is so interesting, and I think both groups like hesitate from saying that because then it again it's like that dichotomy between empathy and like taking responsibility or ownership or being at fault. Like if we say we're sorry for that, does that mean we now have to have reparations or give everything back? Or if we say that Jews have a right to this as an ancestral homeland from biblical times, or that the UN gave it and we recognize Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state, does that now mean we give up our right to return in some way? Or so it's, it's interesting to, you know, hear how close in some ways the the solution is for the public, at least in the minds of, Mm -hmm. you know, mind of the public they just want to have their uh core humanity acknowledged like just apologize just admit Mm -hmm. just acknowledge that we as jews have a right to have a state and you know not to be under attack in both directions it's there so it's 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 super interesting all right Hmm. yeah and i think (laughs) and at
1: the same time i think underneath that is like this feeling of a lack of trust right like so you know i I think in in terms of, let's say someone took those survey results and said, we are going to on both sides move forward. I think that one of the biggest challenges is fear, right? Like people are fundamentally afraid that if I say this, if I acknowledge this, then am I now taking back the offer I've made to you, right? And vice versa. And so I think there's, there's a big issue as it relates to fear there as well as like a lack of trust. Right. Because, you know, it's like when the trust has been broken many times, how do you know that the words that are now being spoken are actually rooted um, in, in, in good faith. Yeah. Um, And, and I, and we experienced that as well, right. This idea of trust or lack of trust, whether it was um, how, if any one of us, uh, was treated when we were, uh, doing, during, dur- during our visit. Um, sometimes we felt automatically trusted and sometimes we had to trust people because, uh, when we were traveling to, um, Hebron and Ramallah and, and Bethlehem, as well as, uh, uh, Israel, we mostly took public transportation because our perspective was, we want to understand like the experience that people have every day, right. um, and we don't want to leverage our our privilege in order to make this visit easy for us, right? And and I think there were places where we were greeted um, and and welcomed, and places where people felt like skeptical and nervous, as they should, right? Um, because I also can't speak on behalf of the United States or any other place that I'm a member, where I'm a member of that community, as not you know having implications in the current context um so uh it's a it's it's very very complicated is what i would say and i and i and 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 at the same time i would say i experienced a lot of joy um uh in terms of um we visited a number of museums uh no matter where we were and places where art um was important to the community to also understand uh, how communities heal um, and express themselves. And so that was a really powerful experience as well, whether it was through, sometimes we um, it was through food and community building that way. And sometimes it was having the experience of like how people are leveraging the arts to tell their stories um, and to also commemorate their histories. Um, so that, that was a, a place where we were able to experience joy as well.
0: Um, yeah, there there is uh, a strange yeah. feeling I think for a lot of Americans who um, who see the tension and the emotionally and politically charged atmosphere in the news and the way it portrays it, um, and yet when you're there, like not just life goes on, but it can be very joyous and multicultural and mm-hmm. in in both Palestinian and Israeli uh, areas. You know, we we definitely see, and I saw some. Uh, some of the, uh, what are called refugee camps in Israel uh, in Palestinian okay. too. and
1: Palestinian mm-hmm. territory.
0: And some of them, by the way, I was shocked. Some of them are apartment buildings. I thought they would be all tense. Some mm-hmm. of them are horrible. Some of them are less mm-hmm. horrible. Some of them are kind of look like regular cities. We also were in Ramallah mm-hmm. and we stayed at a five-star hotel when we were there. I don't know if it was five mm-hmm. stars, but like, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost surreal in some ways. Like you hear about this war zone uh, and you see it on the news and you see, you know so much that's horrible and yet you get there and there's so much beauty and there's so much just mm-hmm. uh you know you you talked about all the different the food the music the culture the religious i mean that's mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. things that that there's not enough that i think is celebrated you're walking around jerusalem there's mm-hmm. th- there's no place in the world with more faiths practicing freely just walking around um than in jerusalem mm-hmm. and that's sort of did you have any religious moments i don't even know if you're religious Tali. i don't even know if oh, you're yeah.
1: I don't know if I'm religious either, but there were lots of religious moments um, and moments that I think were extremely uh, powerful for me, Uh, in particular, um, when we were, I believe it was in Hebron, we were walking through a burial uh, site, um, and also there were some um, historic sites there as well, and there was someone, we couldn't see the person singing. I believe it was in Hebrew, and it was really a majestic feeling. Um, the sun was setting, it was <laughs> quite beautiful. Yeah, um, the, the old stones. And that voice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, there were those experiences. Um, we did visit a mosque and we did visit a synagogue. Um, and those places, I think, you know, they tell a story. Right. And that story is sometimes very different than the one we get to experience, whether it's via the news, via stories people get to tell you. Um, and so those those moments felt very spiritual and, and like you were transcending time to some degree. Um, and so I appreciated those those times um, as well, because and because of the complexity of what we were experiencing, it felt really. Um, wonderful to experience spirituality and sometimes i think the other thing was that we authors and we read texts um in order to better understand where we were um and those those moments felt spiritual too when you could literally read a poem by someone from the local community who was expressing to you an experience they'd had Um, and that that was powerful as well and so um well, I mean, our experiences were so varied. Um you know, we ate at a really nice restaurant I think, once. And then other times we ate on the road, right? Like at like your most local, um, not a real restaurant kind of a location where no one spoke English. Um, and that was a great experience as well. Um I'm so offended of you I'm offended
0: and- you didn't ask me for Food recommendations, Tali. Uh, that's well, like my number happened, one. Well, here happened,
1: right? This is, you know, I, I talked to so many people before the trip that we were like, we had so many food food options that <laughs> I thought I'd better leverage you in other ways. <laughs> um, and- and, and and the truth is like even coming back here, there is food I've been craving. So we have our chance, maybe the next time you're in town or, or when I'm in your neck of the woods, we can, um, find some food. It, it'd be amazing.
0: There's a great Middle Eastern place in Brooklyn, which I will take you to my treat. Okay. That'd be awesome. nice. That'd um, be okay. Amazing. So I don't know if you remember back in the day, we only have about, uh, five to seven more minutes. My sound engineer okay. is giving me the signal. I don't know if you remember back mm-hmm. in the day at the Aspen Institute when we met, um, I was the token, at least observant Jew. I'm trying to remember if there was, there were definitely other Jewish people in our program, but every time there was an issue that came up, at least I felt this way. I probably am telling myself a story and I've created some memory, but I remember <laughs> everyone like turning to me for the uh, you know, the observant Jewish perspective on an issue that uh-huh. we were talking about. So forgive mm-hmm. me, I am turning to you as my one of my black friends for the black mm-hmm. perspective on two issues that I think are, high up on the Jewish communities list over the last few weeks. Are you all right with that?
1: (laughs) I can edit edit this out if you don't want it. I can can only speak from my perspective. Of course. Who is a blessing, but I cannot speak for all the black people. But I got you, Ari. Wait, you
0: haven't been voted in yet? They didn't vote. They didn't do that vote yet. 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 The official. Not at all. Oh, I'm I'm aiming to be the Jewish spokesperson. Um, I'm hoping (laughs) that they'll let me be it. All right. Um, On the Israel subject. So I don't know if you've followed uh, recently, Michelle Alexander, who's a well known activist, wrote a piece in the New York Times. Um, I think it was uh, last week or about a week ago, uh, or maybe a little over a week ago, where she. I think the title of it was something like time to break the silence on Palestine or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, And at least in the Jewish community, uh, as maybe we would expect, it caused an uproar. Uh, She um, acknowledged that Martin Luther King, uh, you know, as we say in the Jewish world, may he rest in peace, may his memory be a blessing, you know, supported Israel. But today she thinks he would not have, Today, she thinks he would be horrified by what the state of affairs there. And in the Jewish community, mm-hmm. there was a real sense of of anger, first at the notion that somehow there is a silence around this issue. Meaning like if you took the New York Times mm-hmm. and just looked at all the op-eds and if you took all the votes at the UN and if you took, you know, any measure of who is being held accountable for human rights issues in the world, uh, based on size or not even just in a vacuum, Israel, there's no one who's silent on the topic of Israel. Um, everyone has an opinion and everyone feels, you know, good or bad, but th- there's no silence around Israel. And more importantly, I think people were really upset that she would, you know, and again, it's hard, it's hard to speak from a place of uh, privilege. I'm, I'm a white male, but you know, and, and the Jewish community in many ways is privileged. Um, but we felt like, and it was hard to say, but how can you take my, you know, quote, what Martin Luther King Jr. would have said, he, would he have celebrated, uh, you know, women's rights in Israel? Would he have celebrated the LGBTQ's rights in Israel? Would he have celebrated, uh, you know, uh, literally the freedom of of everything of religious expression of cultural expression of, you know, are there things Israel can be doing better, which maybe he would have pushed for probably. Um, But to, in his name, Mm -hmm. Suggests that, you know, uh, if Martin Luther King were alive today, he would be horrified by what's happening in Israel, felt uh manipulative to the Jewish community. I don't know. First of all, I don't know if you read the. In our world, this was like every blog, every, you know, email group, every WhatsApp thread. I don't know if in the rest of the world anyone actually cared. So did you see yeah. it?
1: I did see it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I did see it. Thoughts? And, um, thoughts. I think, you know, this, this is where the complexity of it, like, comes to. Um, so I think my takeaway is that um, there, isn't a, there isn't a lot of conversation, at least in my circles, about the, well, or, or there haven't been, right, um, about the Palestinian experience in uh, the Middle East right and so i think part of that up ed i think it was no it was an opinion piece i think part of that opinion piece was about the fact that this is seldom talked about right like when when folks talk about israel um they either i think the the mass media right we're not talking like people who have a lot of knowledge have been understand have read right we're talking about just the general public um I think it's either about the conflict at a high level um, or some other way of understanding the Israeli experience. And 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 there's very little knowledge that most people have about, like, the root causes and, and the current state of affairs as far as the conflict goes. I think her point was about the, the lack of humanity, right? And I think... Um, and and we did this with your students at some point. We talked about Dr. King King's vision and his connection to the Jewish community um, during the time when he was alive, and the fact that for a long time, you know, there seemed to be a connection between the experiences that Jewish people had, as well as um, the experiences that Black people had in the United States um, about fifty years ago. I think world has changed, and and and. Israel, to some degree, has changed. And and there are a lot of people who don't know what the Palestinian um, human rights challenges are. Um, And and I think that was like the basis of the the article. Um, As far as my perspective on it, that's how I understood it, right? Like there, there is something we're not talking about. And maybe, right, if we talked about the issue in its entirety, right, and we looked at the holistic picture, the whole picture maybe we would have different solutions, I think was the big takeaway. Um, and, I, and, and I think the other thing was in the article, she talked about organizations or people who were actively um, addressing the issues. Um, the ones we, you and I just talked about, right? In terms of the humanity um, and the efforts that are in place in order to address um, the human rights challenges that, that you know, that, like you can't walk away from them. Yeah. Um I think that was that was the issue. Now I well I'll stop there.
0: <laughs> no, that sounded like you were going to get to something in yeah, I don't even know. Well,
1: yeah, I mean I think the the point the thing that I was going to say was that I think at the same time it's hard to speak on behalf of someone who's not here. Um I always feel that way, you know, when people say like I'm going to take a totally trivial Um, pivot here and say, when people talk about sports and like, would the 96, 97 (laughs) bulls or whatever year it was beat the golden state warriors, like we have no idea, you know? Um, (laughs) And so that's real. And at the same time, you can look at statistics and say like, here's where they're thriving. Here's where they're strong. Statistically. Yes. Um, You know, it's clear that you know, there, there are some things they're better at. And at the same time, you know, from a values perspective, there are things that I think Dr. King would really be challenged by as it relates to this issue and other issues we're facing as a society. Um, so I, I that's, that's how I understood, um, that piece. It was like the values component, right? From a values perspective, what would he say?
0: I am going to ask you a, a different second question. Cause I'm going to use it as a follow-up. Okay. And, cause thank you for for sharing that. Um, it's interesting because the the de facto uh, position of the Jewish, the American community that supports Israel, the Zionist community, for the most part, mm-hmm. would say mm-hmm. the following, and I think it's true, but you know, again, in some ways, it's easy to lean on this also, is why are you singling out Israel? <laughs> Meaning like, okay, Definitely we got to do better, like, but there's a, like, we're the only democracy out there. We're super progressive Mm -hmm. on 99% of, uh, you know, human rights issues. You are absolutely right. This is a wildly complicated problem. We don't know how to, Mm -hmm. we haven't yet figured out how to keep Israelis safe while maintaining the humanity of the Palestinian people. And maybe we can't, maybe this, you know, being an occupying another people while trying to keep the demographics so that it's a Jewish state, but also it's just too much to juggle. But, you know, okay. You, but the, the, the Israeli army is a humane, ar- forget about that. I Meaning even if you don't go down that, why, why Israel, why is there a, it's time to break the silence about Israel. How about it's time to break the silence about Syria, Iran, uh, Al Qaeda, you know, uh, um, I'm blanking on the name of that place that, uh, Oh, from from soccer, Cutter. Uh, K- I forgot how to pronounce it. Meaning, there's there's a hundred countries to break the silence about. Why is Israel on such a microscope? Under such a microscope in the world? Meaning, like, what? Do you have any 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 idea? Any response? I, it just doesn't make sense to the Jewish community. Well,
1: you know, I don't have any insights about the the actual answer. You know, I can share like my perspective. Perspective, obviously, um, I think obviously, right? Like, if, if I could, right, I would address all of it. You know, I would do it myself. Um, I think part of the the challenge is that I don't know the exact numbers on this, but when you think about um, population numbers here, right, there are a number of people here. Who would identify as Jewish, right? And and when you think about that, right, like so that means that the conversation's already in play, right? It may not be a public conversation, right? But we're—I would say even for me, right? Um, you know, I'm constantly engaging with people who would identify as Jewish now. now it Doesn't mean that these people are Israeli um, or um, have even been to Israel, right? So I think that's part of it. Like um, like there's a I guess an awareness to some degree. I think the other thing is, uh, as of late, um, that the conversation has been more central, right? Than it, in my opinion, has been for a very long time. Whether there are opinion pieces written or people having the co- talking about it, whether it's about Congress, whether it's about the partnership um, with uh, Israel, I think finally. Um, You know, with this administration, right, there's been a lot more conversation as well, right? With this current political administration, um, you know, I think there's been a slight pivot. I don't even know if I want to call it slight to support. Uh, and so that raises lots of other questions and makes it more central, right? And I don't, I don't even know my, I don't even think my answer is satisfactory. I think it's one of those things I'd have to do a lot more reading, learning, and listening about. But my perspective is that this, as of like the last few months, this has become more central to our conversations. Um, and so I would say that that's partly what's happening. Um, interesting. Maybe I'll get back to you there.
0: Yeah, no. Well, listen, I'm I I feel like every time I talk to you, we should do like six more podcasts. I have an entire <laughs> page, just so you know, about the Women's March, uh, Tamika Mallory that we're not even covering, Tali, because we just we have too much to talk about. Um, and now, yeah, there's some people, new new members of Congress. We we have to talk. I mean, there's just too much. Mm-hmm. So For we're sure. going mm-hmm. to have to have a dinner uh, or a lunch in New York when I come. And yeah, be great. Uh, um, I would love to hear any because uh, that last piece, by the way, is is an issue that it's hard to get past with the the mm-hmm. discrepancy, the disparity in terms of how Israel is looked at from the Jewish community's view and maybe mm-hmm. others who support Israel. It It feels hard to get past that when talking. It almost feels like we're under fire. We got to circle the wagons. We can't give an inch because. Look at how we're targeted, or look how Israel is targeted. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we have we have a lot of work to do. You have a lot of work to do to fix the world and to fix these <laughs> fractious times and to heal the world. But Very as good. always, thank you to Tali. It's a, a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for joining us. Any, are
1: always, um,
0: oh, you know, looking forward to seeing you. Thanks to my listeners for listening to the Radical Moderation podcast again. Please remember to give us five stars uh, on iTunes. Follow us on social media. Write a comment. Uh, And if you have any questions or feedback, you feel free to email me at a.segal at shellhevet.org. To be continued, Tali, as always, talk to you soon.
1: All right. Take care.